In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Beloved, we are God's children now, but what we will be has yet to be revealed. Christ is risen from the dead. Blessed is the resurrection of Christ. This is the last Sunday of Eastertide, where we will say that greeting in the choir. We'll sing it. Christ is risen, as you probably have noticed over the years, is in the present tense. Christ is risen. This is not bad grammar. This is a theological statement, correct? It's saying that though Jesus' death and resurrection happened in the past, its effects echo into the present, once and for always, as with everything of God. So then, even now, as we speak, sin is being reconciled. Even now, God's Spirit dwells within us. Jesus himself put it this way, the kingdom of God is not coming with things that can be observed. For in fact, the kingdom of God is among you. At other times, however, we speak about Christ and his kingdom as a future hope that is still to come. He shall dare, we pray during any requiem. Lord, be mindful of our departed faithful on that great day of the coming of your kingdom. This life isn't all there is. Something great awaits us, which is yet to be revealed. Jesus himself in scripture also says the same about a future heavenly kingdom. He says, in my Father's house are many dwelling places, and I will come and take you to myself. So here we have an interesting and a major paradox of our faith, leaving us with major questions. Is the kingdom of heaven to be found in the present, now, or is it off someplace in the distant future? Is there a continuity at all between this life and the next, or is it totally different? Does the good we do in this life carry over like, like data from a phone plan, or do you have to start all over again. Well, today's passage from the letter of the Apostle John, it doesn't answer all of our questions, but it does speak directly to these two aspects of our faith intention, the now and the not yet. And it's an honest letter about what we know and what we don't know about heaven, the heavenly kingdom. And the primary truth that we all have to start with is that no one knows very much. For whatever reasons, God chooses not to reveal himself fully until the time is right, until the people are right. And because none of us like it when we're not in on a secret, we tend to make up a bunch of stuff about heaven to fill in the gaps. I think that's why every year there's dozens of books speculating about heaven. The most recent uh, trend is those doctors who outline near-death experiences, right? My time in heaven, hello from heaven, everything you must know from heaven. The best of these books simply say that the people experience something more real than real when they near death. The worst of the books are like cartoon theology, like bad jokes of lawyers, doctors, and priests dialoguing with Jesus at the pearly gates, with St. Peter at the pearly gates. 
I have such a bad joke for you, but I decided to cut it from the sermon and tell us in the Shandazarian Hall to build suspense. The point, though, is this. We want to know about heaven. We need to know. But there isn't much given, so we just speculate with long books and bad jokes. But in today's reading, the Apostle John doesn't just say it's a mystery. He pulls back the veil just a little bit to show us what we do know in this life of heaven. And it's no joke. It's actually quite amazing. See what love the Father has for us, John writes, that we should be called children of God. We don't know for sure what awaits us in the life to come, but we know it must start with what God has given us now. Astonishing, unearned love, grace. Love that gave us life, which formed us, which reformed us as adopted sons, brothers, and sisters of, of the Christ. And having loved us to the end, surely we can believe that God loves us beyond the end in a wonderful way which John tells us has yet to be revealed. But that still doesn't answer the main question. Why all this secrecy? Why is everything so indirect and unclear about heaven? Why does Jesus tell so many obscure parables about it instead of straight talk? Well, the answer discerned by our greatest Christian minds is because we just can't handle it yet. I will never forget C.S. Lewis's depiction of heaven in his book, The Great Divorce. It's not dreamy and floaty and cloudy like we always like to imagine. Instead, heaven is more real than this life. In fact, a blade of grass is so real that it hurts the feet of those who are not yet real enough to endure it. We can't yet grasp heaven and God directly because we can't yet take it. We must grow up. We must come into our own. We aspire to be God's, but we're God's children. We must mature, become more real, more godly, so that someday we can stand in the awesome glory of God. For this reason, we now only have glimpses of heaven until we're ready for more. I'll conclude with a glimpse of heaven, which traces the mystery of the good that is ours now and that which is not yet. As a faithful old man lay dying, a friend called to say farewell to him. And the dying man said, I just, I just had three visitors, and two of them have gone, but the third I shall keep with me forever. Who were they? His friend asked. The man said, the first was Faith. And I spoke to him and said, goodbye, Faith. You've outlined the faith of my Lord for me, but now I go to see him in person. And then he said, the second was Hope, who came for a visit. And we talked, and I said, farewell, Hope. You have helped me see in the darkness, but now I go to the light. But the last visitor of all was love. In love, I said, you are God's reason for creation, and you're the cause of my salvation. You joined me with others in your name. I can't leave you. You were there from the beginning. You are here present, and your fulfillment is the perfection of God and heaven, now and always, and unto the ages of ages. Amen.